Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. Today's business leaders are saying that sustainability and diversity metrics are key to the way they do business, but what does that look like in practice? Stick around until the end of this episode to hear more. Produced by the iLab at WBUR, Boston. Dim sum? Is it, the, is it the dim sum place? No. Or is it the new Saigon banh mi sandwich spot? No. Which place is it? The Joy Luck Hot or maybe, Pot? Maybe it's a street down. Oh, here we go. Team Endless Thread is walking around Boston's Chinatown neighborhood, talking about a restaurant recommended by a friend which we cannot find. I used to live in that building that has been completely gutted. The shell of the building. Is, there a, is that a strip club? Is there a strip club there? Yeah. Here's the thing. This new Saigon sandwich situation looks quite legit. Despite Ben's spidey sense for sandwich shops, we aren't looking for food. Ben, producer Josh Swartz, and I are here looking for a rare dietary supplement with legendary properties. The supplement is a fungus. It comes from the Himalayan mountains, and it is difficult to harvest. Only a few places here have it. So we're trying to overcome my interest in sandwiches and find the stuff we are actually here for. Well, you can get a sandwich after this. Yeah, we're going to get There's some good smells. Yeah, there's some good smells for sure. This This is it. This is where we're going in, right? Yes. This place used to be a theater. We go into this market next door to the sandwich place. And there's a counter immediately to the right that looks a little like a perfume counter with a bunch of dried herbs in fancy cases. We ask the lady standing there if she has what we're looking for. You don't know? Okay. Okay, we'll look further back. Is that not them? No, they do. This look bug-like. Okay. Um, okay, we need to, we need to we find someone. Should we ask this gentleman who's stocking yes. the cabbage right now? We are having zero luck finding this supplement, by the way. I wonder if we should be, like, finding the, the Chinese name for it and asking about that. I'm looking at this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll show this guy. Oh, do you what? work here? Do you know if you sell this up at the front? Yes. Oh, yeah. Back at the glass counter at the front of the store, an employee named Semisin shows us a container the size of your palm. The case has golden cloth in it, a bunch of Chinese characters on it, and it's full of what looks like dried caterpillars with a thin black tendril growing out of one end, almost like little petrified black hairs. We've found it. Jackpot. Just one problem. So how, that's $290? Wow. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you don't have that kind of money. Yeah, yeah. It's actually only two hundred thirty dollars, but still, Semisin tells us why it's so expensive. This one, medicine quality for special high price. What does the medicine do? I don't know for energy for men, for women, for blood, for anything for yeah, for energy party. for men and women. Yeah, high high price. Like a, like a, like a, like this twenty four. Gold. Uh, like 24 karat gold? Yeah. 
you, wow, this is amazing though. Do you yeah. sell a lot of this? As nobody too much money. Is it hard to find? Oh, really hard. Semisin points us to another place. So we leave the market and walk a few blocks away to a Chinese herb shop that might have cheaper options. Numbehang. We didn't immediately find a cheaper option, but we did find Angela Jiang. Uh, we call this um Dongchong Yeah, this is kind of traditional Chinese medicine. You can use as a medicine and also you can use like a nutrition supplement for your body. So this is uh, like really, really expensive one. Yeah. Yeah. How much but, is, oh wow. This yeah, this one, this box is like one ounce. Yeah. So it's like $1,440 for wow. one box. What does it do? Uh, it can um, make your body stronger and strong your immunization system. Normally people use for like cook, when they cook the soup. Okay. Yeah, don't put too much, you know. Someone told us that it's um, for sexual energy, right? <laughs> yeah, True. people, yeah, it's, it's a lot of... Like uh, Viagra or something. Right, right. It, people talk about a lot of good things about these herbs. Yeah, uh, but mainly it's make your body strong. And This supplement is called cordyceps. And the reason we're chasing down cordyceps isn't that it's part of the male enhancement industrial complex. Or the promise that is the drug industry's holy grail. Viagra for women. It's the fact that this supplement is a fungus that invades, controls, and eventually brutally murders insects, all in its unending quest for survival and domination. This stuff in the fancy case looks like dried-up caterpillar carcasses because it is dried-up caterpillar carcasses. Expensive dried-up caterpillar carcasses that we must somehow find a way to eat. Which is why we should thank Josh for his eagle eye and an ambition to eat bugs. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Have a good day. Thank you. Oh, Ben, Ben, okay. Emery. Yes, yes. Oh, oh $18. That's, you can afford that's that. doable. Superior quality. This is a. Uh, Cordyceps. Cordyceps pills. 30 oh. capsules. Guys, I'm, we're doing this. All right. We're getting cordyceps pills. Is this the pills. same thing? Same yeah, thing, right? Same thing, yes. Yeah, yeah but this is uh, like uh, pills. Capsule, yeah, yeah, pills. You can take uh, this it. This we can afford. That's $18. <laughs> Guys, cordyceps on me. Moths, tarantulas, ants, caterpillars, all kinds of bugs are susceptible to cordyceps. It takes them over and eats their brains. And in at least one case, it controls the insect before it kills it, which is why we're going to call this episode. The zombie fungus. I'm Ben Brock Johnson, and you are listening to Endless Thread, the show featuring stories found in the vast ecosystem of online communities called Reddit. I'm here with my co-host, Amory Sievertson, and we are coming to you from Boston's NPR station, WBUR. All throughout the month of October, we have been bringing you Scream Time, scary stories from Reddit. All right, so we're going to get to the part where we swallow ground-up bug bits in capsule form. But first, we're going to explore the weird, wonderful world of fungi. 
And we should say that the cordyceps fungus itself isn't zombified. It zombifies its hosts, especially its ant hosts. But even when it's not zombifying bugs, it's still murdering them with abandon. There are pictures of lots of these different cordyceps attacking lots of different bug species, and those pictures are on lots of different subreddits. You got your moth fungus posts on the Nature is Metal subreddit, then there's the tarantula torn up by some cordyceps on the WTF subreddit, and of course, on r slash creepy, the picture of an ant with tiny mushrooms coming out of its head. The stuff harvested in the Himalayas and sold as a dietary supplement is just the pricey example. But cordyceps fungi are actually found all over the world. And each kind of cordyceps fungus focuses on a single species. So, like a murderous cordyceps fungus, we too are going to focus mostly on one example, the ant cordyceps because it's incredible. It is. Evidence? Well, this particular kind of cordyceps controls the behavior of the ant before the ant dies, which is unique among varieties of cordyceps and really all fungi, not to mention mysterious. You could make the argument that fungi are having a bit of a moment. The best-selling author Michael Pollan recently released a book called How to Change Your Mind, what the new science of psychedelics teaches us about consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, and transcendence. And there is a lot about fungi in that book. So we called him up to talk about the fungus that turns ants into zombies. You came across this in researching the book, right? Yeah, so uh, the cordyceps is a particularly um, ingenious and diabolical mushroom. Um, so basically, it's zombieizing the ant, turning the ant into its its slave, taking over its mind and its body to uh, spread its spore. It's quite a remarkable thing. It is. It's the horror film of the natural world. What your listeners need to do is go online and look up some YouTubes of cordyceps. <laughs> there is one that I think Richard Attenborough did. He means David Attenborough, Richard's younger brother. By the way, this one video from the BBC's Planet Earth was referenced by almost everyone we talked to for this story. Its infected brain directs this ant upwards. It's made a huge impact, and the footage of the cordyceps busting through the insect's brains is jaw-dropping. Like something out of science fiction, the fruiting body of the cordyceps erupts from the ant's head. From there, the tendril-like cordyceps mushroom reaches into the atmosphere as the ant's eyes go from lively to kind of milky. It is so freaking weird. But also exciting, which is why people like Michael Pollan have written about it. Are you open to the possibility that in some large-scale fashion, mushrooms and fungi are um, engaging in a slow uh, campaign of mind control? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not there yet. Uh, I haven't taken enough mushrooms to, to, to buy into that idea. Okay, so maybe Michael Pollan isn't ready to go full fungi conspiracy theory. But nonetheless, there's a whole list of people just talking about the cordyceps ant fungus. Yes, this is Amelia. Hey, Amelia. This is Amory. How are you? Hi. Good. And yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you for making time to talk to us, especially first thing Monday morning. Amelia Sola Gracia is a lecturer at the University of North Georgia, and she has one of the coolest job descriptions I've heard in a minute. 
Well, my particular area of study is more so animal behavior. Um, I'm more interested in how social dynamics are affected by parasites. In this case, the parasite is the cordyceps fungus. It's called ophiocordyceps. But before we learn about ophiocordyceps turning ants into zombies, we should get some of that regular ant knowledge. True. Drop some knowledge, Doc. I want to remind you that um, colonies can have from hundreds to thousands or millions of workers inside the nest. And each of them have a specific responsibility. Not all of them go out and collect food. um, And therefore, the ones that do come back, start feeding some in the colony, and then those are responsible for starting the cascade of feeding throughout the colony. So that's how they like share with each other food. A cascade of ants regurgitating food for each other, another somewhat revolting and awesome idea. And interesting, right? That there's this really complex structure of an established ant colony, from the queen on down. Workers, for instance, do all sorts of things, excavate, care for little baby larvae, and go out and forage food. And Amelia says that just like people, ants change jobs over the course of their lives. So workers that are younger are thought to take care of eggs and larvae. Um, And then over time, when they're no longer as valuable to the colony, then they start being workers that go outside of the nest. Workers that are cheap, in a sense, can go off and be exposed to predation more often or to parasites, and it wouldn't be such a cost to the colony. Kind of a brutal idea. But whatever the case, these older worker ants that leave the colony are the ants that end up being the most vulnerable to the cordyceps parasite. Because they go out into the world to forage, they pick up some cordyceps spores. And that's the beginning of one of the most disconcerting, gruesome transformations the insect world has ever seen. Isn't that right, David Attenborough? These bullet ants are showing some worrying symptoms. You're damn right they are. Ants that are usually marching two by two, hurrah, etc., are very sick. Now, at this stage, what happens is a lot of convulsions are occurring. Um, It makes the ant leave the nest, walk in a drunkard manner. In some occasions, they vomit. Vomiting zombie ants in a minute. Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. In a recent episode, series CEO Mindy Luber says sustainability has reached a board level. Look, if you're an agricultural company and you're not thinking about water risk, you're an apparel company, you're not thinking about risk to your cotton crop around the world. If you are a bank and not thinking about stranded assets of fossil fuels, you're not probably doing your due diligence. Stick around until the end of this podcast for a preview of the episode. A lot of people spend a lot of money on things like skincare, fast fashion, and even surgery, all in the name of self-improvement. But as the price of perfection rises, when is it time to call it quits? I'm Rima Hreis, host of This Is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. This season, we dig deep into the financial trappings of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.
Okay, so we learned about ants, but really it's the fungus that is the star of this show. And we wanted to nerd out with a Redditor about Ophiocordyceps. So we found Reddit user Brunfeek. I'm Lee Deininger. I'm a master's student at UConn where I study microbiology, but I'm also just like a mushroom geek and forest dweller. I got really like turned on to mushrooms and fungi as an undergrad, just taking biology course, mm-hmm. and I just thought that they were the coolest thing. I was seeing these diagrams of like mushrooms going miles underground in these gigantic networks, and I was like, these are aliens. These aren't <laughs> these aren't things, right? Can you talk about like how this works? Like how what what happens? If we start with like where a mushroom's life begins, it's as a spore, and cordyceps. Those spores are like threads almost, like a really, really long, delicate thread that catches the wind very nicely, uh, and it can drift along and break apart. And those just kind of lay in wait for a little while, or they'll find their way onto uh, an ant or something. Um, And once it lands on there, it kind of like knows that it's go time. So it'll land on the uh, the insect and start to produce compounds to dig into its cuticle. And the cuticle is just like the, the exoskeleton. They're really tough. Bugs have a really hard time even like breathing and getting water because of how tough their like shell is. But once they get through, they start flowing through this thing's open circulatory system because Whoa. that's how bugs mostly are. They just have all of their organs and everything floating around in this fluid that has everything that they need. Yeah. Uh, like, it's essentially their blood and their um, immune system and oxygen and everything. It's all mixed together. It's all mixed together, which is kind of really dangerous because if you have everything bathing in the same fluid and then you have a pathogen get in there, it has access to your entire body. This is where Ophiocordyceps does something truly amazing. The fungus has to bear fruit, so it needs to grow a mushroom, also known as the fungus's fruiting body, because that's how it spreads and makes more fungus. But growing a mushroom on the forest floor isn't the best option, so... It'll direct the ant to optimal fruiting conditions. Which is, as a fungus, it likes a certain percentage of humidity, so it says start climbing up and just find the light and climb upwards toward that. It'll get around usually like 25 centimeters off of the forest floor, and then it says bite onto a leaf. Watching this all go down is super weird, because if you remember Amelia's description, this ant is like throwing up, violently shaking. It's sort of clawing at its thorax while it's climbing, It is fully zombified at this point. This is a death march, and the end of it is the cordyceps forcing the ant to lock its mandibles onto something. Researchers have a name for this, the death grip. The ant just grabs with everything it has onto a leaf and sits and waits as the fungus grows through the rest of its body, digesting everything, going right into the brain, eating, and then getting all this energy to then produce its reproductive structure, which is the mushroom. And that bursts usually straight out of the ant's head. (laughs) And it's, like, brutal. Whoa. I try to always stay at optimal fruiting conditions (laughs) as well. But is the ant itself capable of knowing what's going on? 
yes. And also, it goes as far as, like, other ants know what's going on with that ant. They and do? That's, yeah, that's where it gets, like, really So they're like, really don't freaky. follow that guy. He's messed up. Oh, no, they jettison the ant, usually, because oh. ants, ants are super social. They live in very close quarters. They're Infection. like, Ted's, Ted's acting weird, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We got to get him out of our apartment. Ted's being weird. <laughs> I think it'd be Tabitha because all worker ants are females, by the way. Oh, oh well played. Tabitha. Okay. Tabitha's, Tabitha's being real weird. We got to get her out of this apartment. Oh, yeah, but it's just like worst case scenario. Somebody gets a flu. You live in a box with like 150,000 other people. Everybody gets sick. Yeah. Bad news. Everybody dies. Um, they're, they're extremely social. So they can actually sense the behaviors being altered and they can sense that something is wrong or infected about the ant. We're all calling it mind control, but what does yeah. that like actually mean? Oh, it's more just behavioral change. You see a change in behavior in the ant and it's really just answering to the demands that the fungus is trying to set for it, which is climb really high and then hang on to something and don't ever let go ever again. Ooh, that's like, for something <laughs> that like get, creeped me out for some reason when you see this don't ever let go. <laughs> for sure. Don't ever let go. So unsettling, right? Also, there's been a mystery regarding all of this. According to Lee, we've known what happens to the ant eventually. But we haven't known a lot about how the cordyceps controls the ant's behavior. Everybody assumed that it's probably growing into the brain or growing to the brain or communicating somehow. It was really tough to understand what that interface was like. That was true until last year, when research out of Penn State University changed the conversation which means we're going to talk to one more zombie ant expert. My name is Meridal Fredrickson. Um, I'm currently a PhD student at the University of Basel in Switzerland. Dr. Fredrickson used to work at Penn State, where she was really focused on this how question. How does Ophiocordyceps force the ants to walk around and climb up stalks and clamp down on leaves like this? So the group of researchers at Penn State did pretty much what you imagine scientists do all day. They looked at ant pieces under the microscope. I had to make my sample super small. So like, even though ants are small themselves and I only took a part of like the head and the the, um, the leg, I still had to cut my sample. So it was uh, like a millimeter by a millimeter, like cube. And then stick it on a pin, I, like glue it on there and then... And the discovery that Dr. Fredrickson and her colleagues made is that this fungus creates its own fungal network inside the ant, a network of cells that communicates and works together. I think when I, when I saw that they were connecting to each other, I think that was, I realized that there was something there. Like, I, I was like, aha, they are, they are connecting. That's something that I didn't expect to see. That's not something that we had known about before. This connects to one of the things we've learned about all kinds of fungi. They build networks that communicate. Michael Pollan actually learned about this while researching his book on psychedelics. Among the cool things we've learned about mushrooms is that they connect trees in a forest. They, they form a kind of internet where they kind of colonize the root 
and the roots of plants put out sugars that the mushrooms like to eat, in exchange for which the mushrooms reach deep into the earth and find nutrients that the tree needs and feed the tree with those nutrients. They also connect the trees and the tree can actually send signals and messages to other trees in the forest. So it's, it's this invisible web, basically, underneath our feet uh, that mushrooms create. It turns out that this ability of fungi to create and spread networks appears to be present inside the ants that have been infiltrated by cordyceps. It's how the fungus exerts control. If you need to manipulate the behavior of this giant thing that you find yourself in, <laughs> um, it might not be enough for just one fungal cell to, to secrete some chemicals at any given time to, um, to manipulate the ant. So if it's going to affect the ant's behavior, it might have to do that in some coordinated way. But that coordinated network is not actually focused on the brain. It's focused on manipulating the body of the ant. Our Redditor friend Lee describes it this way. So they make these frameworks around the ant muscles, Whoa. and then they grow up to the brain, but not into the brain just yet. So it's horrifying because it's not like you're a zombie and now I control your ant body. It's like you are still alive, but I'm the one steering the ship, essentially. <laughs> Which is it's like, like, I control your ant body, but your brain is free to be full of terror. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely terrifying. Wow. It's like, yeah, you're, you're a puppet at that point. That's got to be the heebie-jeebiest zombie ant fact of all. Which raises the question, could we be susceptible to cordyceps? When you think about uh, an ant being controlled in its brain, uh, not being its own, its body not being its own. You wonder, like, well, an ant is an animal, and I'm an animal. And we share a lot of DNA, so how likely is it that that's going to happen to me? Is there a cordyceps for people? <laughs> and you just, like, spiral out of control, and you start getting really paranoid <laughs> because it's terrifying. <laughs> we don't want to imagine that that can ever happen to us. But wait, humans totally did imagine that it can happen to us. In the video game, The Last of Us, a zombie apocalypse adventure that features zombies infected by, yep, human cordyceps. Jesus Christ, how did this happen? They got no clue. First they were saying it's just the South. Now they're going on about the East Coast, the West Coast. This wasn't a tossed off horror game plot point either. Game designers based the zombie-fying cordyceps, which in the game turns humans into horrifying fungal monsters with their heads split open, on consultations with scientists. A fan of the game even made a line-for-line -line copy of the David Attenborough video we've been hearing. Spores from a parasitic, from a parasitic fungus called cordyceps have infiltrated his and body their minds. and his mind. His infected brain directs this infected brain directs this ant upwards. And then utterly disorientated, he is Then utterly disorientated, it grips a stem with its mandibles. Those afflicted Well the good news is that there's no cordyceps taking over human brains yet. How realistic is it that humans could ever be taken over by mushrooms the way that ants are taken over by cordyceps? Well, Lee's been taken over by mushrooms already. <laughs> and I think you guys are showing signs as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. 
can that be something that evolves? I'm going to say um, humans are edging toward overpopulation. We have been overpopulated for a while, so there's no shortage of meat <laughs> for sure. Oh, my and God. And fungi <laughs> follow the stuff. They follow the resources. We have only documented like 7% of the fungi that exist on the planet. We, we know absolutely nothing about fungal diversity. So is there something that's already doing this? Maybe. Who knows? We did take a dose of the pills that we got in Chinatown. So without question, we're asking for it. Except that we didn't take the ant-specific cordyceps, and ours were probably grown in a lab. Oh, I feel better now. Yeah, also hence the much cheaper price tag. But we each took two of them, the whole Endless Thread team. Our engineer Paul said he had a little upset stomach. Josh? I felt a little sweaty. Ben? Uh, I got like a kind of weird buzzing in my ears and my eyes felt weird, which was creepy. I felt strong. Really? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I actually felt a little out of it, like Hmm. like my brain was pulsing. Well, if you start stumbling around and chewing on leaves, we're definitely gonna get you out of here. We gotta protect the colony. Endless Thread is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station, in partnership with Reddit. Our show is a dream realized by Jessica Alpert, who found some mushrooms when she was looking for bread stapled to trees. Iris Adler is our executive producer who says our reaction to those cordyceps pills was unexpected. Mix and sound designed by Paul Vikas and John Parati, who heard cordyceps could turn you into a zombie, and they said, Listen to this. 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 Our web producer is Megan Kelly, and when we showed her photos of zombie ants, she was like, What is this thing? Michael Pope is our advisor at Reddit, who thinks this whole episode came from one of Reddit's writing prompts. Even though you don't always hear his voice, it's important to point out that our fellow producer Josh Swartz can also say that Endless Thread is something I made. Extra production assistance from James Lindbergh. Our intern is Candice Lim. Our theme music is by Squelcher. Huge thanks to Redditor Flaming Loops for this week's artwork. It is called Fun Guy, and he made incredible animated custom artwork just for this episode. It is amazing. You can see it on our profile. On Reddit, we are endless underscore thread. If you want to contribute art for an upcoming episode or give us a juicy story tip so we can tell it like we did today, hit us up there. My co-host and producer is Amory Sievertson. I'm senior producer and host Ben Brock Johnson. I'll let myself out. Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. Listen on for a preview of one of the episodes featuring Mindy Luber, CEO of Series, a nonprofit dedicated to integrating sustainability into businesses. Here's host Kurt Nickish. Are the people who are working with ESG data now at companies? Are they in a sustainability department? Does this just become part of general strategy or part of finance? How is that evolution happening with the actual people who are looking and working with the numbers?
So with both companies and investors, the cute idea of social responsibility that was at a manager level or something their foundations dealt with, that's gone. It is very clear based on data, based on facts, based on trends, that integrating sustainability into the core business is crucial. I mean, you cannot have a climate goal that says we're going to get to a net zero by 2040 if every department at the enterprise is not working on that. That's your manufacturing people. It's your supply chain people. So we find that there is often a sustainability team, but they're laying out a plan that involves almost every enterprise, every office, every part of a firm. And that's what we're seeing because nobody can do the kind of cross-organizational work in one little group. It involves the entire team. It involves HR. Who are you hiring? Is DEI being implemented? How is that working? As it relates to where do you get your resources? Are there enough natural resources to make your product? What are the auto companies doing now that they've committed to by 2035, there will be no combustion engine vehicles coming off their assembly line for consumer vehicles. So sustainability is no longer a cute, a niche, a part of something off to the side. It is an integral part of almost every major enterprise and every major investor. Find the full episode by searching for Is Business Broken? wherever you listen to podcasts. And learn more about the Marotra Institute for Business, Markets, and Society at ibms.bu.edu.